Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Oh. Now the God of peace. Mm, the God of peace. The God of peace. What peace are we talking about? I got I to gotta stop on that. I have to stop on that. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him, by Christ, to reconcile, sounds like an accounting phrase, to reconcile all unto himself. By him I say whether they be in heaven or in earth. To reconcile what? To reconcile what? What does it say? All. All to, his, to himself. And all of you were to study it out. It has to, um, the, the King James says, the Amplified says, all things should be completely reconciled back to him, whether it be earth or heaven. It has to do with the fact that by the blood of his cross, he made peace. What does this peace look like? This peace that he made by his cross, by the blood of his cross, by his sacrifice, this is what it looks like. It looks like everything reconciled to his original intent. Reconciled to him the way, the way it was designed from before there was ever a fall. Amen? Now, if you believe that, that the blood of Christ and the sacrifice set everything at one again, set everything to the place as if the fall had never, ever, ever taken place. And everything is reconciled. Everything is gathered together in him. If you recognize that and you have any situation that you're walking into and you walk into that situation with the knowledge of this covenant of peace, this covenant of the God who has reconciled everything to his original intent, no matter what, how the storms might rage or no matter what is going on, you'll be able to walk in that situation with your gospel shoes that says it is all reconciled and you're going to have a readiness and you're going to have a confidence and you will not be perturbed or moved by anything. You will be seeing the end in the beginning, in the midst of all the storm, and you will not be anxious for anything. But rather, by staying connected with God, you are going to be able to have a peace that passes all understanding. Does that make sense? All right, now. So Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 says, The God of peace, the one who's responsible for that, the one who has reconciled everything to his original intent. And if I could jump a step further, Romans chapter 16 is going to tell us that as we walk in this with this gospel shoes of peace, that God of peace will bruise Satan underneath your feet what? shortly. So, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will 
working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Now, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I think verse 15, it says, study to show yourself approved. A workman that needs not be ashamed. And then it says what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Which means you could also wrongly divide it. But it says rightly dividing the word of truth. Now let me tell you something about truth. The word is truth. Amen? And if this, if this here is the truth, this is basically white, and you divide it, what you are left with is still very much white. And it's actually it probably have the same molecular structure and everything else. If you keep dividing it, you just being able to look at it a little bit more closely. But what you have left is still truth. It is still white, all right? All right. Now, that's a principle. And I, one of these days, I love to teach that. I tried one time and I didn't finish it. <laughs> which is how principles to rightly divide the word. Because it's very profitable. It would open up the door to revelation. In fact, what I shared earlier about the blessing of the Lord that make it, that comes from rightly dividing the word. Amen? And there's so much stuff in this word that you can see like that. But let me just pull something out of here. Now, I'm not saying you take any particular conclusion on any subject and run off with it. You don't do so unless you have confirmation with, with other scriptures, with the character of God, etc., etc. All right? We know that, right? Okay. But anyway, going back to this, it says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the, that means you remove all commas. I'm going to divide this. So we're removing commas. We're removing full stuff. We're removing all of that stuff that was not there when it was inspired and spoken by the Spirit of God. God doesn't have to speak with commas and full stops. You know why? He doesn't have to stop and take a breath. You have to. Amen? Okay, because you've got such limitations. But God could keep speaking and never take a breath. <laughs> and right? He doesn't have to use commas and full stops. So anyway, through the blood, <laughs> through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect. Do you see that? Through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect. By birth, through the blood, how am I going to be made perfect? How can this maturity take place? Through the blood. Do you see that? In other words, the blood has the capacity, the potential, and the ability to make you perfect, to mature you. Well, make you perfect where? Not in your spirit. Because where your spirit is concerned, the Bible says we are the spirit of just men made what? Perfect. You know right? Um, Hebrews 12 verse 23. Your spirit man when you are born again is absolutely, totally perfect. It has the joy of the Lord. It has the peace of God. It has the love of God. It is blessed with every spiritual blessing. It has everything that pertains to life and godliness. And we could go on and on and on. Is that right? Right? When, as to how perfect your spirit man is, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says that by one sacrifice he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Does it not say that? Amen? And actually whenever you hear the word forever, forever of course means forever. 
But forever also means perfect. You know, when it talks about an eternal redemption or an eternal inheritance, it means an absolutely perfect redemption that you can't, there is no way you could improve in it. Are you with me? When it talks about eternal life, it's not just talking about life forever. It's talking about a life that is so perfect. Amen? So when it says, for instance, in Hebrews 10, verse 14, that by that one sacrifice, he has perfected forever. <laughs> he has perfected perfectly. <laughs> them that are sacrificed. All right? So your spirit is absolutely perfect. But this verse is saying that through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Make through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. It has the capacity, which means it has the potential to mature you. Where? Not in your spirit, in your soul. Your spirit, your spirit is okay. When you are born again, you don't know nothing. You don't know even, you don't even, you could barely find the contents of the Bible. You don't know, you know John 3, 16, you only know that from seeing it in a football game. Isn't that right? But nevertheless, your spirit is absolutely perfect. Cannot be any more perfect. It is so perfect, in fact, that the Bible says in um, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, it says, um, you are dead, you died with Christ. And it's no longer you that live. No, no, no. Anyway, let me finish that anyway. That's Galatians 2.20. You, you, you are crucified with Christ, nevertheless you live. And the life you now live is the life of Christ. Colossians 2, verse 3, verse 3 says, you are dead and your life is now hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life. So your born again spirit, the essence of your born again spirit, if we can look at it underneath some kind of spiritual microscope, the person that is just born again, they don't know much, but the person that is born again, if we can look at the spirit underneath some kind of spiritual microscope, so to speak, we will find that everything in his spirit, that Christ is the very essence of it. We will, cry, we will find that he is righteous, that this new man is created in righteousness and perfect holiness. We will find that the fullness of the Godhead is in there. We will find everything in there. And if we took a spiritual microscope and we look at a person that is born again spirit, and we took a spiritual microscope and we look at Christ, it will be exactly the same. Are you with me? So the spirit is absolutely perfect. But the soul is not. The soul is not. The soul, in fact, you know, okay, I can put it this way. I can put it this way. I can say, well, the soul doesn't have the joy of the Lord. It doesn't have the peace of God. It is not patient. And it, we could go to fruits and spirit. But let me go another route just for the fun of it. Amen. The Bible speaks in Hebrews. Not sorry, not Hebrews. It speaks in Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 22, when it tells you to strip off the old man. Get rid of him. Just strip him off. Right? With all of his corrupt whatever. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And verse 24, it says, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then in verse 25, it basically says, because you have now put on a new man, stop your lying. Does it say that? Okay, that's my version. What is the point? The point of the matter is that soul that is not perfect lies, cheats, manipulates, intimidates, plays games, 
is deceitful. It's all of those things. Not to mention, not to mention the fact that, that, that it's oppressed, don't have the joy, don't have the peace, don't have any of that stuff. That soul man is a mess without God. Isn't that right? Carnal and so on. But now the thing is this. The spirit man is wonderful and perfect. Just Christ himself is his life. But the problem, like, I can't live with my soul in that state. You know why? Because my success is going to be determined by whether my soul becomes renewed, whether my soul prospers, whether my soul becomes like Christ. In other words, then, my success is going to be dependent on whether Christ in my spirit can now be formed in my soul. We can put it another way. Since Christ is the truth, it would mean that my success is going to be dependent on whether I can get a hold of truth in my thinking, in my attitudes, in my, in, in, in my reasoning, in my speaking, and in my actions, all of which are coming out of the soul. Are you with me? How do I know that? Because the scriptures say that. It says that morning in the prosper, according as my soul prospers. And then it goes on to say, I, I, I pray that you, uh, 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 you know, that you dwell and walk in truth. Second Thessalonians 2 verse 13 says that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that can bring you to this place of maturity that will cause Christ to be formed in you. He says the way it works is the salvation, the wholeness, the transformation, the renewing of the mind, the coming to this place where Christ is formed in you will happen to the degree that the, that the Holy Spirit of sanctification is able to work and bring you to the belief of the truth. So it's all dependent on, on how much truth you get into your soul. Psalm 51 says, God says, I desire truth in your inward being. So what I'm saying is we've got to deal with this soul. We've got to get Christ to be formed in your soul. Because that is the problem. Now, question is, how are we going to do that? Desire the sincere milk of the word. Now, if we were to borrow from um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, which basically says there are three witnesses that agree together in harmony and coincide and so on and so forth. And that is the spirit, the word, and the blood. The spirit, which means... Uh, um, and to be able to apply that aspect of the Spirit has to do with your prayer life, has to do with speaking in tongues, has to do with following the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's why you, that's why you came out of that victorious. Right? You follow the Holy Ghost. Amen? I had a little thing that happened today that was, it was not as spectacular this morning. It had to do with Tim Horton's coffee. <laughs> right? That's not spiritual. Right. Not, not very spiritual. I was on the way to do something else and I had earlier on, if you go to Tim Hortons on Sunday morning around church stand, not good. Forget the drive through because they have about 20 cars in front of you. And if you go inside, you might find a line. And I'd see more Tim Hortons like that. So I was on the way to somewhere else, I get it. And as I was on the way there, I had this prompting to go to the Tim Hortons in Upper Auto. And I look at my clock to see how much time I have. But then I recognize, and this is an important phrase, 
I recognized that this was some kind of prompting from the Holy Ghost. So I decided I'm going to obey it. And you got to learn to recognize that. Amen? Whether it be in praying or whatever the case is. And I obeyed it. And then I went. And then there was a supernatural encounter. And I'm going to rabbit trail in that. There's going to, I, I, I encounter a Kairos timely encounter took place with an individual regarding something that I needed. And it just happened. And I just, and, and I even, and I just obeyed God and, and, and we'll see how the fruit of it come out. Right? Can I rabbit trail a little bit here? And it's for your benefit. The Bible says in Psalm 102 and verse 13 that the time for him to favor us has come. Which God wants to show you favor. God wants you to be in the right place at the right time to have the right encounter with the right person. You know what? Whether it be with people or whether it be other situations. You can just, you can, you can believe for that. One way of believing for that, and I think it's wonderful. Let me give you a couple of scriptures very quickly. Number one is to believe Psalms 37, verse 23. Are you righteous? Well, the steps of a righteous man are what? Ordered by the Lord. I know, right? Okay. Number two. Isaiah 58, verse 8 says, The righteousness of God shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your reward. Can you believe that? Yes. Psalm 85, verse 13 says, That the right, that same righteousness of God that is going before you, you the righteous, you support your steps to be ordered to the Lord, that righteousness will cause you to be planted in his footsteps. Think about that. Planted in his footsteps, man. He goes before and all you do is you just step wherever he goes. Right? And that way you don't get some down in some quicksand. <laughs> right? In our country there's a thing called quicksand. Not nice. Here is snow. Uh, here is snow. <laughs> quicksand, you know, if you, if you happen to get caught in quicksand, you can't move. If you wiggle, you sink lower. <laughs> right? But he gives orders your steps. Take that and then he add also Psalms 31 verse 15. In the King James it says our times are in God. Well, okay, let's break it down. It says, basically it means your timing is in God. Part of your vocabulary and confession should be that I am the righteousness of God. My steps are ordered of the Lord and my timing is in God. Amen? So I'll be in the right place at the right time. I'm not going to be in that elevator when it breaks down. Amen? Amen. <laughs> I got a real story about that one. <laughs> I'm serious. Many years ago, we went to London, Ontario. It was one of the, it was a Christian conference, which means everybody is a Christian. Right? Anyway, I'm not even going for it. But it was a Christian conference. Everybody was there. Our kids were small. Was that? And it was a Christian prayer conference of that. Right? And you know, you know, you have a break and everybody go and you're going to eat and come back. And at, at that time, I could remember, I don't know where the kids, where the kids were at, but I memorized Psalms, Psalms um, 91. And one day they were sitting and I just began to recite Psalms 91. And they watched me like this. And I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? You know, we dwell on the shadow of the Almighty and they thought, wow, that's great. So they decided they wanted to do it. So we all ended up memorizing Psalm 91. So that's where we are. So now we are at this Christian conference in London, Ontario. 
And lunchtime, we went for a break, and we went off somewhere, come back to eat. When we come back, man, you know, a lot of folks flocking into the elevator. Uh, did we step in first? Or then step out? And for whatever reason, we decided not to go into that elevator. You know what happened? The elevator got stuck. And the people that were in that elevator were born again Christians speaking in tongues. Right? What was the difference? What was the difference? The difference was the word of God. The word of, I mean, you could be a Christian, I don't mean to be unkind. And you could be in a plane and that plane could crash. Amen? Why did God let this happen? When the Holy Ghost was prompting you to pray, to do this, to do that, step back, whatever the case might be. So it is good for us to order our life where it's part of our vocabulary that my steps are ordered in the Lord and my timing is in God. Take that in another level. What does it mean? It means then that you can declare and you can believe God for kindness moments. So that the people that he has for your life, you'll be able to connect with them. So that the finances and the wealth and the resources will come to you according to the word of God. Are you with me? All right, that was a little bit off the track. But anyway, how in the world did we get there? <laughs> so, so the, so the thing is then, okay, so there's the application of, of the, the issues with the spirit of God prayer and all those other things. And if you learn to do that, the Bible says you will call, it will cause Christ to be formed in you. That's that. The Word of God, same thing. Interaction with the Word of God, right? which includes meditating in the Word of God, confessing the Word of God, acting on the Word of God. Let me say something that is of ex great importance. We know it says in James chapter 1, verse 21, to receive with meekness the what? Engrafted word. Let the word become engrafted in you. And it will be able to save your soul. Does it say that the word is able to save your soul? No, it doesn't say that. It says the engrafted word. Unless the word is engrafted in you, it's not going to be able to save your soul. Because you know what the word says. Because you could quote it. Because you memorize it. That doesn't mean it will save your soul. It is the engrafted word. How does the word become engrafted in you? Well, let's continue. Receive, this is James 121, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, lest you deceive yourself. In other words, when you begin to act on the word, that's what causes it to become engrafted in you. That is why meditation does not finish at just muttering it, nor does it finish by just processing it and visualizing it, which is all part of it. Is it not? But meditation says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Keep it in your mouth. But you shall meditate day and day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then you are going to make your way prosperous and have a good success. Amen? Amen? So there is the interaction with the word it is the acting on the word and the acting and the issue of the spirit. But then there is the blood. Now, the issue of the blood is what we need to focus on here. We see there in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21, that the word, the blood, has this ability to make you perfect. That making you perfect in and of itself 
is, 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 is maturing. And that, that, that maturing is Christ being formed in you. First question that I think is very important is, we need to know and have confidence that can the blood do this? Can the blood cause Christ to be formed in my soul? Because I've got to have it formed in my soul. If it's not formed in my soul, I'm just going to wander through life. I'll make it into heaven. But man, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Are you with me? And the fact that I'm a Christian is nice and wonderful. Speaking in tongues, wonderful. But I'm going to still have a bumpy ride. Christ has to be, must be formed in me. So I need to know, can the blood really do this? Right? Can the blood do this? You see, if I know, if I'm confident that the blood can do this, then I will go to the next question. Well, what am I supposed to do? How do I act on the blood? How do I act on it? If I know, if I don't know that that thermostat is going to turn up the heat and make it warm, I got no reason to fiddle around with it. But when I know it can do this, amen, then I say, well, all right, how do you operate this thermostat? Show me. I'm, I'm shivering. <laughs> Whatever the case might be, all right. So let's talk about that just a little bit. Can the blood cause Christ to be formed in you? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Now, I've, I've got to do this. I don't know about a shortcut way by which I can do it, okay? So you're going to have to see this, right? Maybe six months from now, I might have a better way, but this is what I got right now, all right? And you've got to really stretch to get a revelation. Amen? All right. But first Peter chapter 1. First Peter? Yeah, first Peter chapter 1. Verse 18. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While you're turning here, I refer to this, but in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22 it says, Put off the conversation of the new man. Put off the conversation of the old man. Strip it off. And then in verse 24, it says, put on a new man, which basically means put on the conversation of the new man. That word conversation, when it speaks about conversation, it doesn't just mean, you know, the chit-chat that we have and the talking. It includes that, but it has to do with your whole lifestyle. It has to do with your believing. It has to do with the way you think, the way you talk, your attitudes, your actions, etc. Amen? And in fact, it says in Psalms, 50 and verse 23, the Lord says, to him that orders his conversation aright, what will happen? I will show my salvation. And that word salvation includes a whole lot of stuff, including deliverance, including freedom, amen, including the transformation. All right. So 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed or bought back, with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received from the traditions, by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It says that you were bought back or redeemed from being underneath that, from being in that realm of vain conversation. From being in that realm where you're thinking wrong, you're talking wrong, you're acting, you're acting and your attitudes are fruitless where the kingdom of God is concerned. Amen? Vain, empty, fruitless. 
Because your thinking, your speaking, your acting, your attitudes, it's like a word, it's carnal, it's not productive. But the blood has redeemed you from it. All right? Do we get that from that? Okay, I like that. Like I always, I've said to, before, I don't know if I said it to you, but if I were to speak to someone else that is out there ministering the word and have to go to some places where you have to deal with a bunch of unbelief, one of the things you can do very quickly when you get in there is get that congregation before you start preaching and teaching to them stuff that they might want to fight against is to have them all declare. Because they, they, they like the blood too. You have them declare that I'm redeemed from every vain conversation that came from the traditions. And you have them declare it. And you'll be amazed what will happen. <laughs> I'm serious. I did that one time. I, that, I'm saying because I did that one time. It was so wonderful. <laughs> All right, so that's one way you deal with situations where you know you got to fight here. <laughs> you know you got some traditions to deal with. Get them and they'll agree with you. Anyway, but he's redeemed us out of that. So you're redeemed from that. Now here's what my, my brain tells me. I'm redeemed from this vain conversation, this wrong way of thinking and believing and speaking and attitudes and actions. And then what does he do? Take me out of it and what? Just leave me floating out here? No. Right? We're, we're, you know, redeemed from, but to what? We're redeemed from, it says in, in Revelation 5 verse 9, from every human definition and, and all that stuff, but we're redeemed unto God. All right. Now, turn with me to here. To Philippians. Yeah, Philippians Say conversation. Philippians chapter 3. Glory to God. Philippians chapter 3. I love this verse. Philippians chapter 3, reading from verse 18. Now, granted, I am talking about the blood and I'm focusing on the blood. But wherever you see the blood, you could very easily instead speak about the sacrifice of Christ. Amen? Just like the cross and so on. Okay. Verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are enemies of the blood. That's a horrible thing for God to say about you. <laughs> that you're an enemy of the cross. An enemy of the sacrifice, an enemy of the blood. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame? Who mind earthly things? Look at the characteristic of these ones that are despising and are enemies of the blood. They mind earthly things. That's where their mind is at. Earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. In other words, we are not enemies. Are you enemy of the cross? No, we are not enemies of the cross. We are not enemies of the cross. And our mind is not earthly. But our conversation, that word mind is talking about conversation. Their thinking, their speaking, their attitudes, their actions are earthly. It's carnal. It's based on circumstances, what it looks like, what it feels like, what my history says, what sister so-and-so thinks. Amen? But not us. Our conversation is heavenly. Now let me show you how important that is. If you were to go back, go back in your mind in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. As a matter of fact, I'll flip over there. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Let's flip over there and see it. Praise the name of the Lord. Glory to God. It says that if you be risen with Christ, if you be risen with Christ, seek those things <laughs> which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Seek those things where you are, where you are, where you are seated. At Christ is at the Father's right hand in Christ. Set your affections, which means set your mind. Let your conversation, let your thinking, let your attitudes, let your actions be what? The things which are above, heavenly. Not on the things on the earth. And if you do that, and you need to do that because don't forget, you're there. And all of your life is hid with Christ in God. And if you do that, set your conversations and the things which are above where you are seated, where your life is hid with Christ in God. If you set your conversation and your thinking and your affection and your thought processes and everything else, if you rise up and let your believing and your thinking be on that level, here's what's going to happen. Verse 4, Christ, who is your life, shall appear. Which means Christ, who is already in your spirit that is your life, he's going to become unveiled. He's going to be, he's going to come out. Which means that's Christ being formed in you. What caused it? Your conversation being in line with the reality of who you are, where you are, etc., etc. Are you with me? My question is, can the blood cause Christ to be formed in you? Now let's go back to Philippians. So Philippians chapter 3, there folks, goes on to say, in verse 20, let's go over again, verse 18. They're enemies of the cross because they're earthly in their thinking, but not us. Our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look. That, that focus, that focus. Focus. Hallelujah. Focus on obedience. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Deliverer, <laughs> the Freedom Fighter. <laughs> the, for, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall, but you see where the focus is? Mm -hmm. Listen to their conversation, look at their attitude. Where? They're looking for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body. Now, we're not talking about the Savior that for you in terms of you being born again. You're already born again. Mm -hmm. Amen? Mm -hmm. If you go back to another place, you'll see it has to do with the Savior of your body, which is some divine health story. But anyway, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? How? According to the working whereby he, Christ, that is in you, is able to do what? To subdue all things unto himself. The Amplified says, who is able to exert such power. So here's the picture. As your conversation is not earthly, but heavenly, as your thinking, your speaking, and your actions and your attitudes are consistent with the gospel of Christ. Why do I say that? Philippians 1.27, which says to let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. All right? The gospel of Christ, Philippians 1.27. Notice, let your thinking, your speaking, your actions, your attitude, 
Let it be in harmony with this gospel of Christ. So this verse is saying here in back in Philippians 3, that if you would do that and be heavenly and let your conversation be heavenly, be on that level where you're seated, Christ is Christ in you. This is how I see it. I see Christ rising up from my spirit, stepping over to my soul, and the things that are in my soul or in my body that are rebellious against him, that are exalting itself against him, I see him now exerting power and just crushing them, just removing them. Isn't that awesome? That he will now subdue everything and make everything in the rest of my soul obey him. Isn't that what it is said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, where it speaks about the fact that, um, that we have to bring every thought into captivity and the obedience of Christ? But Christ is going to do that. But what is it dependent on? It is dependent on our conversation. But what if Christ comes, rises up within you, and those things, in that bad attitude you have, that wrong way of thinking, amen? Those, those, you just don't know how to act on the word, and you do it. If he rises up and just starts smothering, smothering, and just, just smashing everything that is against him, would that cause Christ to be formed in you? Yeah. Amen? But why did it all start? Because of not being an enemy of the cross, but rather embracing the cross. That's the blood. What is my point? My point is the blood. Hmm. Oh boy. Anyway, my point is that the blood does have the power if you act on it to cause Christ to be formed in you. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says the same thing. The preaching of the cross to us who are saved is what? The power of God. To produce what? Salvation, wholeness, rescue, deliverance, transformation. It has the power to cause Christ to be formed in you. What? The preaching, the speaking, the declaring, the embracing of the cross, which is the sacrifice, which is the blood. Romans 1 verse 16 and 17, same thing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to be disappointed. It has the power of God to do these things. So which is to say what? Absolutely, without the shadow of doubt, the blood has that authority, has that ability. Now, that being the case, then we know that, all right, fine, now I'm convinced. This stuff is going to work. Amen? Mm -hmm. it's, it's worth my time for me to learn how, what to do. Now, okay, so now then, so now, so now let me make a quick shift now. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it speaks about the, the sanctification of the spirit or the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood. If you rightly divide that word, it will say that the Holy Spirit works sanctifying you, setting you apart to bring you into the place where you are obedient to the blood. Can you accept that? All right. But what do you mean obedient to the blood? How am I going to be obedient to the blood? If someone, I know I recognize that if I can act in the blood, it's going to produce this transformation. Christ will be formed in me. But how can I be obedient to the blood? Well, it also says in um, Hebrews 12, verse 24, 
that we've come to the mediator, and I might not be quoting this correctly, which is Christ. And then it says, um, whose blood speaketh better things than that of Abel. Amen? Now you know what Abel's blood says? My brother killed me. Judge him. Punish him. But the blood of Christ says mercy, grace. You know what? But the blood speaketh. The blood speaketh. Now if I'm going to be obedient to my wife, I need to know what she's saying. If I'm going to be obedient to you on any matter, I need to know what you're saying. So for me to obey the blood, I have to know what does the blood have to say. And then once I find out what the blood says, then I agree with it, then I act on it, then I come in alignment with it, etc., and, and so on. Amen? So now, now I'm ready. Because now all I got to do is chase the word down and find out what the blood speaks. And then there's something do. I don't have to be afraid of going off into some weird ditch or something. You know why? Because the blood... The word and the spirit, they agree. Amen? In other words, if I'm going to come to some conclusion in that the, book, the blood is saying some, something that is weird and it doesn't agree with the word and it doesn't agree with the spirit of God, then I can throw it out. Are you with me? All right. But now I'm ready. Because now I know. All I got to do now is find out well, what is the blood saying and I just got to learn to listen. I just got to learn to listen, and then I go acting on it. Now, I know I'm going to be out of time, so let me give you a couple of things. Do I give it to you short, fast, what? Let me see what I can do. Short and fast. Short, short and fast? <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> All right. Okay, a couple of things. Okay, ah, I got to get this thought to you, though. <laughs> you got to act on it. The Bible says faith without works is what? There. There. The Bible says the gospel preach didn't profit them, not being mixed with faith. If you hear all this stuff and it's wonderful, it's intellectual, whatever the case, if you do not act on it, forget it. It doesn't profit you. Is that right? Um, no. But let me, let, I want to emphasize this point. This is so important because why, what is this acting on it about? Catch, catch to this. Jesus said in first, well, Jesus said it anyway. <laughs> first finish chapter 10 verse 16. He said that um, the cup of blessing this cup that we drink, this cup of blessing, is it not the what? Communion of the blood of Christ. What does that mean? What it means is it is the common union. It means what is your share. Furthermore, it means what is your intimate participation in that blood. Are you with me? You've got to have an intimate participation. You've, it's got to be enwoven. It's got to be gra engrafted. You've got to get a hold of it. You've got to put it in your mouth. You've got to do that. Whatever, so whatever you find out about the blood, you've got to have this intimate participation. Mm -hmm. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 6, 53 to 56. He says, except you eat my blood, eat my, <laughs> eat my flesh, and drink my blood. You don't have this part. You don't have me. You don't have, you don't have this part in you. But how can you eat? Do you eat something? What do you do? You intake it. You, 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 you chew it. You, you consume it. It becomes part of you. When you drink, it's the same thing. She says, unless you have an intimate participation with the sacrifice, with my body and with my blood, which is what communion is all about, then you don't have this intimacy with me. You don't have this eternal life. 
which is knowing God. You don't have this life operating in you. He says, because my flesh is meat indeed, etc., etc. So it is, that's so important. So now when we look at all of these scriptures that says what the blood is saying, that's the end point. We got to decide, how do I think? I, like every time we see, this is what it says, this is what the blood is saying, I got to say, okay, so, so what do I do? How do I think? How do I act? What do I, you know, I, I got I to look at that. So very quickly, there's a couple of different things. Number one, and we can't turn to them. Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says that, that, that um, Jesus, that his shed blood is the propitiation. Not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, if you go back and meditate on it, you're going to get more than I can share with you. But it is the propitiation. It is the animal, it's the sacrifice. It is the price that was paid. There's a scripture in, um, in Zechariah 9, verse 11, it says, By the blood of the covenant, I've released and I've set the prisoners free. Zechariah 9.11 By the blood of the covenant I've set the prisoners free. Here you are. And you could be born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, but because of not having this application of the blood and the Spirit and the Word, yet you could be in a prison. You could be in a place still inflicted by sickness and disease. Still oppressed. Still depressed. Still filled with fear. Still, still underneath that rule of the enemy, still that, 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 that darkness, etc., etc. It's a prison. Wouldn't you say? Not a nice place to be. And you want out. But now here you are in this prison, and then one day, the king of kings, one day, Jesus comes, takes the key, opens the prison door, and says, you're free to go. How come? Because your fine is being paid. Your fine is being paid. Sickness, this, that, that, can no longer. You're free to just walk out of here. The price has been paid. That's what it says. That propitiation and the reality of that has set us free. Another place it talks about it about as redemption. And I could go on and on. Hebrews 9 verse 12. That says he's purchased is not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood. What he's done, he we have obtained an eternal redemption, a redemption that is perfect, that is eternal, that is everlasting, that is absolutely complete. Amen. So the thing is, so when we study all of this out and we recognize all this redemption, in him we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And we see all of these things. Then I say, okay, all right, this is what the blood says. I've got to agree with it. Now here's, let me, let me back up for a moment. Don't forget, it's truth that is being built into you that brings the freedom. You shall know the truth and the truth brings the freedom. But there's a difference between truth and facts. The fact is, this is how it has been. The fact is, this is what the doctor says. The fact is, this is what is in your bank account. Etc. Etc. But the truth is, by his stripes I'm healed. The truth is, all things have passed away. The truth is, um, uh, you, you know, I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm an heir of God. The earth is a Are you with me? And what you have to do is, your soul has, your mind, your will, your emotions, your thoughts, your conversation has to line up with the truth. Yes, and then when you do that, then you can change the facts. Yes. Are you with me? So when you find out that this is what the blood says, this is what the blood says, it's not whether that's your experience. Amen? But when I find out what the blood is saying, 
And I decide, then now, what is my response? I got to agree with it. I got to declare it. I got to act on it. I got to accept it. Are you with me? On every single point. And the more I do that, the more it becomes engrafted. And the more I, that Christ begins to become formed in me. So on this that one point of appropriation and redemption and forgiveness of sins, etc. That's just one. What else? Whom the Son says free is, is free indeed. Christ is my life. And, and I'll tell you something. As we study all of these things, it's going to all come back down to this fact. That Christ is your life. Therefore, you have to see yourself that as he is, so am I. And because don't forget, at the end of the, the, whole, the whole thing about even this series is for us to come to this awakening that Christ really is the essence of my born again spirit and he is my life. Amen? All right. And then, of course, the fact of a curse, no blessing, we talked about that, so I'll skip that on. Skip over that one. The fact that the blood declares you're redeemed from the curse, the blessings are yours. And then even in context with that alone, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. On that cross, there's this tremendous exchange. Instead of your sickness, he's given you divine health. Instead of sin, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ. Instead of being rejected, you are now accepted. And instead of being poor, you're now made rich. And we could go on and on and on. But you recognize each of those things and you say, okay, that's wonderful. But so what? What should my response be? Well, it will change my thinking. Are you with me? I'm not going to, yes. I'm not going to have that same defeated victim mentality. Amen? But I begin to look at things differently. Glory to God. Then there's justification. Having to do with righteousness. I mean, I love this scripture. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that while we were sinners, ungodly, enemies of God, didn't want to have nothing to do with him, he died for us. While I was a sinner, how much more now that you are justified, now that you are made righteous, now that in, here, in his sight, you are as if sin has never been. How much more shall you be saved from the wrath to come? How much more than, than the fact that you're forgiven and all of that and, and while you were yet sinning? Now, that, think about that. Now, if you get a hold of that, man, I'm telling you, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that justifies. Who's going to lay a charge to God's elect? And all of that stuff, I mean, you, you could get so free. Justified. No sin consciousness. No shame, no guilt, no sense of inferiority. I'm raised up. He is my life. Are you with me? Man, that could change your thinking. Amen? How would that talk cause you to talk? Man, I've got the rights of sonship. I've got the authority of sonship. Amen? And on and on and on and on. Man is good. So what should I do? Well, oneness. That oneness. I'm a son of God. Jesus says, hey, I'm not ashamed to call you brethren. He says, I and the children whom you have given me. Amen? The reality of that oneness. And, and, and the thing is, you see, we got to learn to think like that. The reason we can have the kind of success in our prayer life in the name of Jesus is because God deals with us as if we were him. Whatever you ask in my name. Think about that. 
How does that affect you when you're praying and you're talking to God and you can say, Lord, I believe you're going to do this, do this because you would do it for Jesus. Yes. Mm, how does that affect your faith? I expect that you're going to do this. Not because of me and how good I've been, but because you, if you will do it for Jesus, you'll do it for me. Yes. How does that affect your thinking? Amen? Yes. <laughs> you know, I like this verse of Scripture, Romans chapter 10, verse 6 to 8, where it says, because you see, the thing is, all this righteousness stuff and all that, that blood, that's been, it is to produce a righteousness consciousness where you don't have this sense of separation. And I'm jumping over a whole lot of stuff. All right? But think about this. Romans chapter 6, verse six, 10, verse 6 to 8 says, Who shall ascend into heaven to bring Christ down from above? Who's going to descend into the deep to bring Christ up? But think about it. Why do you have to bring Christ down? Or bring Christ up when Christ is right here. The word is near you. Even in your mouth and in your heart. That's the reality of this authority. That comes out of sonship. Comes out of, that, comes out of righteousness. Amen? So we must change our thinking. Amen. I, I, I'm not going to do justice to this if I go on. Peace that the blood has purchased. The real peace. Biblical peace. So you can walk with the gospel truth of peace. Victory. Thanks be to God who gave us the victory. Put the blood up on the doorpost so that when the dead angel passed or passed through, he has to pass over. Yes. Skip, skip your house. <laughs> Amen. I'm gonna leave that alone. Not inheritance. Oh. But let me let me let me let me let me for the sake of time, there's a lot of other things we could cover, right? But we're not gonna go there right now. But let me give you this one verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Hebrews 10, 29. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Intimate fellowship, intimate participation in the blood. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. First, let me read it as it is. Right? You know, talking talk again about, right, about rightly dividing the word, or you can take the word and divide it. Sometimes you could take a word, just some principles. You can rotate it around the verb. And by that I mean, um, um, like let's say, look. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, so the word is God. You know what I mean? Um, where you can get definitions from the word and the little things you can do like that that are so wonderful. One of them sometimes is flipping the verse around. <laughs> let me give you an example of that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that when you discern the Lord's body, you discern the blood. Right? It says that if you don't discern the body and you don't discern the blood, many are what? Weak, Weak sickly, and, and, and sleep. Christ sinners die. We sleep. Amen? <laughs> sleep. I mean, you go to sleep a little too early and don't wake up. <laughs> right? That's what it says. If you do not discern the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as a believer, what happens is you can be weak you can be sickly, and you can die early. You can sleep early. Flip that verse around. What would it say? It would say that if you do discern the Lord's body, don't partake of it unworthily, right? But with knowledge and with understanding and faith, if you discern the Lord's body and blood, then you will, instead of, then you will be strong. You will be healthy. And you will fulfill the number of your days. Right? 
flipping the verse over, the other side. What it doesn't say, whatever, something like that. You got that? Right. Let's look at this verse. Talking about the blood. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. Of how much sorrow punishment suppose ye shall he be taught worthy who hath trampled or trodden on the foot the Son of God and had counted, reckoned, counted, had counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and had done despite to the spirit of grace. Ooh, sounds bad, isn't it? Would you like to be guilty of this? No. Ooh, ouch. Okay, let's thank God. Let's flip it over. <laughs> and it would say, but rather you are counting the blood of Christ by which you are sanctified as a holy thing. In other words, you are looking at the blood and instead of despising it, ah, blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ, da, 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 da. instead of being, instead you recognize that it's holy. You set it apart. You see it as being, you magnify the blood. You make much of the blood. That's what we do it. If we go and we spend all the time and look at all the many scriptures of the blood and how do I act in this? How could I have an intimate part? What are we doing? We are counting it holy. We are making much of the blood. We are magnifying the blood. We are recognizing this is the blood of the eternal, perfect covenant that is everlasting. We are recognizing this blood is for all eternity. And we are recognizing its magnitude, its authority. Are you with me? It reaches to the highest mountain, to the lowest body. It touches heaven. It touches the earth. It touches hell. We're recognizing that. We're treating it as holy, magnifying it, honoring it. And by so doing, we are not despising the spirit of grace. We are not thinking little of it, but we are making it, make them a big deal of it. And quite frankly, that's how God wants it to be. That's how it needs to be. That's why it says in another place. You know, I like this verse of scripture. One time the Lord showed me this verse of scripture, which was in um, Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, and he expanded it out to me, which says, um, reckon yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ or something like that. And what I saw was, 